0: Faster. Stronger. Smarter. Coach Stephanie explores the art and science of ketogenic diets to optimize athletic performance. Welcome to the Keto Endurance Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Keto Endurance Podcast. I have Dr. Sean Baker on again, and we are going to Faster, talk about his stronger, blood test smarter. results and some Coach new Stephanie things he's learned along his journey. And we're going to discuss optimize a little bit about his popularity. Welcome to the um, Keto Endurance Podcast. His gaining popularity and the gaining popularity of a carnivore diet. Welcome, Sean.
1: Stephanie, thanks for having me. It's wonderful to be back on. Good talking. I we last talked about about three, four months ago, I think, something like yes. that it seems like it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a lot of stuff going on in the in the meantime. So it's been fun.
0: Yeah. Wonderful stuff. It's so nice to see the carnivore way of eating becoming more popular. I've been on and off of the carnivore diet for about two years. And uh, I joined your carnivore study and had uh, really good results and and then still eating like that. And you've had amazing results, which is wonderful. So can we talk a little bit about what your, um, I want to talk a little bit about your background, but just briefly, because I think a lot of people have heard about your background, but I want to talk about your blood test results. And and then we'll talk about um, your goals.
1: I'm sure, I'm not sure if I know my goals right now. <laughs> well, well,
0: I mean, because you're talking about putting on strength and yeah, oh, yeah, diet, yeah. so yeah. let's talk about those.
1: Yeah, I mean, just a quick background, you know, I'm, I'm 51, I've been athletic my whole life, you know, competing in a bunch of different sports, kind of went through the diet, you know, the, the diet experimentation, tried almost all the diets out there, settled on a carnivorous diet about 16 months ago, and I've been kind of going strong, pretty much meat and water for 16 months, and uh continuing to improve, uh, you know, basically every month, you know, physically, uh, and health wise, you know, and, and from what, from the things that I care, uh, that I think are relevant to measure. And, uh, so I, I, just continue on this journey. It's been interesting as I've been very public about it and very transparent about it. Uh, a lot of people have joined in on this sort of, uh, sort of crazy adventure and, and lo and behold, uh, lots and lots of people are, are discovering. What I discovered is, it, is that it makes their health get better. And, you know, it, it seems to help pretty significantly in athletic pursuits, which I think is also cool. So I think, you know, I think it goes together. You get healthier, your athletic performance kind of goes up and I think that that seems like it makes common sense so there's people that would argue that being athletic and succeeding athletically is not necessarily a healthy thing I think I don't think that's always true I think in many cases you can be both successful athletically and be very healthy and I think that's what uh many people are showing right now with with the carnivore diet or other you know other low carb diets you know just just to put that in general terms doesn't necessarily have to be purely carnivorous but I think there is some advantage to that for some people.
0: Let's take, I agree. I have, uh, I have some clients who are on the carnivore diet, and, and the rest of them are all low-carb. I don't have any high-carb athletes that I coach, but they are seeing really great results. And a lot of them come to me because they have tried other approaches in their athletic endeavors. They don't want to give up their sports, but they also want to be a lot healthier. And they've been able to do that, which is really great some of the things that a lot of people are concerned about when it comes to a a carnivore diet is the amount of protein, and you just had your blood test done, and your A1Cs were a little high, and from the comments online, people were all up in arms about it, and personally, I didn't think it was a big deal because I've noticed that my athletes, when their blood um, sugars can't, don't ever drop real low to non-endurance athlete, non-athlete ketogenic i can't get this out right people who are on a ketogenic diet who are not athletes tend to be able to get lower blood sugars than athletes
1: uh yeah so let me let me just talk on the protein in general uh you know obviously you know a lot a lot of times a carnivorous diet you know and particularly what i do I, i mostly eat fattier cuts to meat and so i'm really not on a from a macronutrient ratio standpoint eating a really high uh, protein diet you know my protein intake tends to be around 30 35 percent which you know is higher than the standard diet but it's certainly not like super high it's it's more in lines with some of these more ketogenic macros uh maybe a little bit higher on the protein side but you know we talked about earlier offline about kidney kidney damage and you know my you know and I, i eat probably more you know again, even though the ratios aren't that high, I do eat a, a, a quite a high volume of protein. I will eat four or five, 600 grams of protein a day sometimes. And it, it has not caused any issue with my kidney function. My kidney function, when we look at the labs, everything was fine. You know, my creatinine uh, clearance is fine. My uh, creatinine level is fine. Uh, my glomerular filtration rate was normal. And it's kind of interesting because when you look at the way they calculate that formula, big muscular guys, they kind of underestimate what your GFR is, and you want a higher GFR, go know your filtration rate above 60. And the formula you use is based on about a, a 70 kilo man. I'm, I'm not a 70 kilo man. Obviously, I'm almost, you well, know, not quite twice twice that, but almost twice that. And so even still, my, my GFR was normal. So I, despite taking in some days, six, 700 grams of protein on a regular basis, my kidney function is just fine. So I think we can kind of sort of get away from that. We can also talk about, um, you know inflammatory markers i 'll talk about the glucose thing here towards the end, but i wanna, i want to paint the picture because yeah. you know when we looked at my inflammatory markers, things like my c reactive protein my high sensitivity, my high sensitivity c reactive protein was zero point six extremely extremely low, putting me at extremely low risk for cardiovascular disease and for things like diabetes. My triglyceride to HDL ratio was also extremely, extremely low. You know, My triglycerides were 50, 54 or so. Uh, my HDL was a little bit low, but it was higher than it had been. You know, My, my, my HDL traditionally had been in the low 30s and upper 20s. After being on this diet, it, it went into the low 40s. So it's gone up quite a bit, still considered a little bit low, but the ratios are very good. Um, my liver function tests were all completely normal. So again, this this thing about protein and meat damaging your liver somehow. Uh, none of that has, has happened. Um, my insulin, which is also uh, very important when it comes to talking about diabetic pathophysiology and health, my insulin was extremely low at 2.6. And so when you calculate my, so my insulin sensitivity via things like HOMO IR, H O M A I R, which stands for the uh, Homeostatic Method of Assessment is extremely insulin sensitive. So I'm extremely insulin sensitive, right? So the only thing weird about that is when, I, when you look at it, my blood glucose, my fasting blood glucose, my hemoglobin A1C were elevated into the pre-diabetic levels. And so a lot of people are concerned about that. And I think rightly so, because most people, when your blood glucose is that high, it can be a problem for you. Now we are seeing a trend, and you pointed this out, in some athletes that they are seeing higher blood glucoses than non-athletes. And I think that's part of, uh, you know, particularly when you're engaging in, in certain athletic sports, you're driving up your need for glucose. You know, one of the reasons that uh, one of the th- one of the concerns about people when they do these short-term tests on ketogenic athletes is they look at it for three or four weeks, and they see that their performance is not quite as good as some of these carbohydrate you know u- using athletes. And they say, well, because they can't they can't access the glucose. Well, I think a chronic adaptation is what's occurring is you're you're just kind of producing a little bit more glucose via gluconeogenesis to make up for that difference over time i think again long term your body will adapt to the to the stress that that it's placed upon and i think athletics particularly certain types of athletics now my, my the type of stuff i do is highly highly acutely glycolytic it requires instant on high level of glycolysis like when i'm doing the rowing or even some of the intense lifting i'm doing so i'm requiring really high levels and i know uh, guys like Danny Danny Vega who's also kind of doing some similar stuff to me he's noticing his glucose is drifting up now as well and, and despite that he's staying lean he's staying he's staying uh, very muscular. Uh, and so we're seeing the same trends and I think uh, you know there, there are some endocrinologists that have weighed in and they, they basically say they see the same thing in athletes it's not as big of a concern to them and I think we have to look at, what does hemoglobin A1c measure, first of all? So what it measures is, it's kind of what they consider a three month estimate of what your blood glucose is, right? So what happens is glucose will bind to uh, the hemoglobin molecule, and, you know, and that's what they're measuring. Now that tells you a couple things. It tells you, uh, well, it depends on a couple things. So if the hemoglobin molecule or the, or the red blood cell is living longer than 120 days, which is what the, which was what the study presumes is going on, it may overestimate that hemoglobin A1c. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that healthier people, their, their, their red blood cells live longer. And, and so we don't know for sure. There, there's some tests you can do to kind of sort that out. I haven't done that personally yet. I might do that down the road. There's also some evidence showing that like diabetics and people that are sick, their red blood cells may live shorter. So even though they have a lower hemoglobin A1c, that may not be an accurate representation of their uh, blood glucose. And that's why, like guys like Dr. Bernstein will say that you know, for a diabetic, that that may underestimate the hemoglobin disease. So it's not a really accurate measurement of what's going on long term. Now, having said that, I will say that because I've, I've checked my blood glucose a, num- a number of times, and I will say that it's typically um, higher than hundred. You know, it's, I've seen it down in the eighties and seventies. Um, frequently it's 110 115 so it probably for me averages around 115 if I had a guess which is still uh, considered a little bit on the higher side but here's the important thing the difference between hemoglobin a1c which is which is a a sort of a normal process that occurs just in 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 the blood when when the glucose concentration is a little higher compared to what happens with cellular damage and something called advanced glycation end products Depends on a couple different things. First of all, glucose does not cross the cell membrane via diffusion. There's no; con- it has to be it has to be brought across either through facilitated diffusion uh, with electrolyte transporters or through active transport things through through glucose transporters, particularly glucose transporter one, glucose transporter four. And four is real important in the muscle. One is kind of a generalized one. And so when we talk about tissue damage, we have to get the we have to get the glucose into the cell, first of all. Some of that depends on insulin, right? And so if your insulin level is, is kind of low, uh and this is particularly Particularly important with glucose transporter four, uh, then you won't get the glucose will not be able to come into things like the muscle And so the muscles will kind of not want to take in glucose unless insulin is present Now I don't have much insulin typically I'm not a type 1 diabetic because if I was a type 1 diabetic My blood sugar would go way 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 high every time I ate because I couldn't dispose of it so I can produce insulin when I need to and I do that in response to uh, Meals now when I'm exercising there's another mecha- mechanism by which ins- by which glucose can be brought into the cells, and that is through muscular contraction, and those things are mediated by things like nitric oxide and some other other uh, uh, things facilitate that so when i when i use my muscles glucose goes back into the cell and and then i'm probably utilizing that for for the activity i'm doing the highly glycolytic stuff now the other thing that's interesting is that glucose in itself which is uh, which i found was pretty interesting i learned this is not particularly reactive when it comes to become becoming and converted to advanced glycation end products things like fructose are something like 20 times more uh, potent at creating advanced glycation end products than glucose. Now, we don't have as much fructose in our blood sugar as we do glucose, but it may be that the fructose, which is what we're seeing when people eating sugar, sucrose is basically glucose and fructose, that may be a bigger driver of these advanced glycation end products. Additionally, in order to go from advanced from glycation, simple glycation like uh, hemoglobin A1c to an advanced glycation end like, you also require oxidative stress and possibly some inflammation. And so I don't have much inflammation. I would argue I don't have much oxidative stress. And additionally, compounds found in meat, like carnosine, carnitine, alpha-lipoic acid, which are very prevalently found in meat, prevent advanced glycation end products. And so I've got all these things that, you know, despite the fact that my, my resting glucose is a little bit higher in the blood, the question is, is it getting into the tissues? Is it being oxidized appropriately? Is it uh, being converted to fructose or is there enough fructose there? And are these things like carnosine and carnitine preventing advanced glycation end products? And so what can, do we have any uh, sort of proxy measures for that? There are some blood tests, which potentially you could do, maybe serum advanced glycation end products. There are some autofluorescence skin readers that can look at age, age uh, uh, damage. Uh, the advanced glycation end product damage. And then there are things that kind of like one of the things that's really kind of interesting it, that correlates pretty ha- highly with uh, advanced glycation end products and serum advanced glycation end products are, are the healthier gums. And so gingivitis and things like gum recession are significantly associated with advanced glycation end products. And for me, I noticed the opposite effect. My gums have gotten healthier and healthier as time has gone by. So my suspicion, and I, and I don't know for 100%, per, per, percent for sure is that I am not taking damage from from having a little higher glucose most likely and I think it's just a physiologic response to what I am uh, requiring my body in the absence of carbohydrates and that's what my body's decided to do as far as allowing me to do what I want to do it just makes a little more glucose since I'm not taking it in it makes it makes enough now here's the thing I was eating four pounds of meat a day, which is about 400 grams of protein a day. Well, I've recently bumped that up to 50% more, to almost 600 grams a day. I've seen no change in my blood sugar. My blood sugar has not gone up at all, which would indicate that if it was purely a gluconeogenesis thing, I would expect to see you know, at least somewhat of a rise in the amount of glucose that's being converted. It's just purely an input thing. And so I think it's I think it's a demand-based thing, which we've talked about it. You know, many people have talked about it. It's a demand-driven process. And the fact that I'm eating, you know, an extra 200 grams of protein a day is not having any effect on that sort of speaks to the fact that it's demand-driven and not supply-driven.
0: Very anyway, cool. That's a, mouthful. That's a so, mouthful. That is a mouthful. That's... Uh, has anything changed in your body composition from upping to 600 grams or do you feel like you have more or have you gotten stronger or more muscle mass
1: yeah i put on you know again i've only been doing this for about three weeks now and so i put on about five pounds five six pounds um i would i'm definitely getting stronger there's no doubt about it i probably put a little bit of muscle on i would i'm 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 staying around the same level of body fat you know it's it's uh you know, I, I still want to put on another 10, 12 pounds. So I've got, you know, ways to go with this. And so we'll see, but right now it, it seems to be um, at least some lean, lean tissue. I, I can't say, I've you know, I, I mean, I'm definitely getting stronger. There's no doubt about it. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing numbers in the gym go up. That's cool. uh, just on a rowing machine this morning, um, you know, putting more power into the rowing machine. So I'm seeing performance improvements. I'm seeing strength improvements you know, I haven't taken you know precise measurements, but I, you know, I, I, you know, I can see that I'm getting a little thicker in the, in the, in the shoulders and chest and, and stuff like that. My waist has not really appreciably gone up at all that I can tell. Um, so, but I mean, again, five pounds on somebody who's 245 pounds to 250 pounds is really hard to tell. There's not that much difference you're going to see. Right.
0: The, um, I read a couple studies on protein and how, a lot of times, upping the protein doesn't necessarily. One study talked about the research subjects; they uh, almost doubled their protein intake, and they didn't get heavier, but they got warmer. They um, their body temperature rose. Do you notice any body temperature changes or being warmer?
1: Um, not that I can appreciate, I mean, you know, like I said, there is a thermic effect of uh, digesting protein that I think is pretty well described. And, and I know that I'm not sure exactly what study you're talking about. I know Jose Antonio did a study yeah. where they did a lot of protein, you know, overfeeding and, and, and the result. I think, I don't remember if they talked, I can't remember reading my body, but I know they talked about the fact that they did not gain any fat you know basically despite taking in you know with, with 200 extra grams of, of uh protein that's 400 that's 800 calories extra versus the other group and so they you know they they, they got stronger and didn't put on any yeah, they the same study. fat. And so yeah it could be I, I you know and it could and it certainly is i mean that's the thing we talk about calories and calories out versus a metabolic effect and i think protein uh certainly uh has different effects just besides just generating energy and I think there are some you know metabolic uh things that are going on heat production and and some other things that probably play into that
0: so what's your um you said before we started talking that you had some you were working towards some goal I don't we are, do you have a lift? (laughs) Do you want to lift, deadlift a certain amount? Yeah, yeah, right.
1: Yeah. So, right. Yeah. So I'm, uh, you know, so I'm 51 and and I was looking at the uh, sort of the U S and world records for the deadlift and the drug, you know, the drug free uh, deadlift uh, numbers. And I think I'm, I think I have a reasonable shot to, to, to hitting that. And so uh, right now the record stands at 705 pounds. You know, this is in, in a, in a drug tested division called USA powerlifting, which is in my view, the, sort of the premier division for, at least for drug tested athletes. And so that's the number I've kind of looked at to try to do. I've done that earlier in life, you know, when I was younger, but uh, I was heavier. And so I'm going to put on a little bit of weight, trying to try to get to that, you know, get to that number. The training is going good, but you know, where I'm at training while projects that I should get pretty close to that, you know, uh, over the next I'm going to say probably somewhere in the next 16 to 24 weeks, I'll probably be ready to hit something like that. So I've got to train, you know, train pretty hard, you know, changing, changing what I'm doing now and focusing just on the, I haven't done that in about 20 years where I just full, fully stroke, focused on getting stronger in one particular lift. And so it's, it's kind of fun to do it again and it's kind of nice to kind of wake up some of those old muscles that haven't been truly really stimulated in, in, in quite some time. And so it's fun fun doing this stuff but it's a lot of volume the way I'm training right now lots of volume so I'm uh, uh, the good thing about this diet is it's it's a very good diet for recovery and so I'm recovering well despite the increasing volume but I am noticing that my appetite's going up and that's why I'm eating accordingly and, and it's also allowing me to put on some muscle but yeah it's 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 uh you know it's a little different than what I've been doing for the last, you know, decade or so. And so it'll be fun to get back to that stuff and see see what I can do as a 50-plus-year-old guy.
0: How is your um, – how many meals a day do you eat? Do you eat uh, – I I eat twice a day, and I, and I noticed I – some folks uh, eat just one time a day. And I was wondering, because you're trying to get a lot more protein in, and I saw your video that you ate – a certain <laughs> I have a hard time eating fast, eating protein fast, or eating steak, and I just got a ton of ribeyes. But, um, how many do you try to get it all in in a certain amount of time?
1: Well, I mean, I, you know, I did that video today just for fun. I was just screwing around to see how fast I could eat a 24-ounce steak, and it was under three minutes. But, uh, I, uh, um, I generally, you know, in, in normal day-to-day situation, I'll eat twice a day. That's, that's 90 Five percent of my diet. Sometimes I'll eat once a day. Sometimes, if I can't eat, I'll just eat, shove it all in one meal. It might be three or four pounds in one meal. But as I'm trying to gain weight right now, I, I found that I have to increase the meal frequency a little bit. So right now, I'm doing trying to do three meals a day because I find it. I just can't. It's hard for me to do it in two meals. I find it that I have a little better. I have a little bit of chance of doing it. Uh, like this morning, I had a pound and a half you know, for breakfast, I'll eat about three pounds for lunch, and then I'll have another pound and a half for dinner, and that'll get me to, uh, about to that six pound uh, mark, so that, that's what I'm doing, you know, as of recently, but generally, uh, and I'm eating beyond my appetite, I'm not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not stopping when I'm full, I'm eating beyond that, because I'm trying to put on the size, and that's one of the things that people ask me, can you bulk up on this diet, because so many people get leaner, um, and I, I say, you know, particularly for guys that are trying to put on muscle, you've got to really... You really got to suffer a little bit. And, you know, like I said, I'm actually at a point where I'm eating beyond the point of enjoyment. Uh, It's just, you know, one of those athletic things you do uh, to, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, if you talk to any of these really big strength athletes, they'll tell you that eating becomes a chore and they, it's just because, you know, and it's, it's not what I recommend for health. I think you should eat to your full and, and that's it. And you can, you can be lean. If you're trying to do crazy stuff like I'm doing and you want to break world records in weightlifting and get stronger and stuff like that, then you have to, you kind of have to push, push the eating a little bit. But uh, for the average person, twice a day, it works pretty well. Sometimes once a day it can be a pretty good thing as well.
0: Very cool. The uh, what would you say to the folks who are worried about nitrogen balance? Because uh, and we talked a little bit about that, but uh, six hundred grams a day—that's a—that's a crap ton of protein. I I've been trying to up my protein, and I can get it up to about one eighty. And because uh, after we did the the carnivore study, I went and did a DEXA scan. Mm-hmm. And I exercise regularly, and i I am smaller i'm a lot smaller than leaner than i I was, but I wanted to see how much muscle mass I had and I had actually a lot less muscle mass than I anticipated, and I think it's some of it's just because i for years since you know high school probably I've tried to eat less and starved myself. So I'm trying to eat more and I'm looking at your numbers and thinking I should probably, I'm going to try to get a little higher than that and see if well, it makes I- a difference. I mean, not a higher than 600, higher than my regular, no. like one third, 115 is about oh what God. I usually, if I eat till I'm full, it's about 115 grams.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you look at some of the conventional studies, again, these are done on conventional people eating diets and they'll, 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 you know, some of the recommendations now it's something like 1.6 grams per kilogram, you know, is what, what they're saying is, is fairly optimal. I think when you don't have carbohydrates in your diet, that number goes up, I think. And, and I think people have commented on the fact that you might, uh, see that, uh, you know, that, that goes up almost even to double that in some cases. And so, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, again, I think appetite for most people should work pretty well, you know, for how much protein you need. You know, again, I think it's, you know, I think you have to look at how well you're functioning. Now you're, 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 you tend to do a lot more endurance type activity, you know, well, that's kind of. I'm
0: doing criterium racing now, so that's not endurance. That's, fa- I mean, it is endurance. It's half an hour, but it's as fast as you can go. So it's, okay.
1: So are you on the velodrome? Or are you doing the. Are you No, doing the, it's
0: just the... a circuit or uh, it's, you know, for the women's race, it's, it's a half an hour. You know, we warm up before we start and then it's, you know, all out for a half an hour. And yeah, that'd
1: be fun. I'd like, you know, because I, I know they do some of the, the sprint track racing where it's, you know, a thousand meters or something. Yeah. Right. It's pretty short stuff. That's a that lot
0: shorter done. than what I'm doing, but yeah.
1: Yeah, that would you know, that that stuff would probably develop more muscle for you, quite honestly. Just doing that type of work, and then obviously some weight training and stuff like that. I think is is a good way to go. You know, get a heavy kettlebell, start swinging that. I think that's a that's a very good just one exercise that I think is 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 very easy to learn. It's uh, pretty safe for most people. And I uh, did
0: kettlebell swings, I lift uh, three times a week, but um, good. Good. so it's not like. Um, but I still don't have the muscle mass that I would like.
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's not easy. I mean, particularly for women. I mean, you got to really put in the work and you got to, you got to really grunt and, you know, do that, do that, uh, the the heavier stuff. And so, you know, like I said, there's squatting heavy, deadlifting heavy, you know, doing some heavy presses, those things work for everybody uh, pretty well. And, uh, that's, you know, even, you know, even for me, I mean, I, 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 have, I am somebody who's naturally kind of an ectomorph, I mean, believe it or not, you know, despite the fact that I have a decent amount of muscle on me, I, I really, if I don't train hard, I get thin pretty quickly. And so, um, I have to, uh, you know, push pretty hard pretty frequently to, to maintain the muscle I have.
0: Very cool. Are you working on any, um, I mean, you're everywhere. Do you have any... I don't know. I know you have your carnivore training systems. Are you coaching? And then you're, you're still doing, are you still doing orthopedic surgery?
1: Yeah. Or- so I'm, I will probably go back to part-time orthopedic work here probably later this year. Um, I probably, I can't do it more than more than part-time just because of my family situation anyway and 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 i'm also you know just really finding that i have more passion for this preventive stuff than and you know and helping people out through diet and lifestyle and so i want to i want to continue to do that um yeah i've got a couple you know quite a few irons in a fire right now the things are coming you know i've got you know, obviously the little trainings program we've got going on com. We're gonna, we're gonna add a rowing supplement to that that's coming out here in a couple days. I've got my own little website, sean-baker.com, which is coming out shortly. Someone's helped me develop that. And that's gonna be just a collection where I'll put some of the scientific thought and writing you know, we'll have links to different interesting things. And then we'll probably do a little bit of, because a lot of people keep asking me for individual type consulting stuff. So I'll probably talk to people individually through there, do a little bit of independent, you know, in, individual uh, consulting. Uh, I'll probably try to get out there and maybe start doing some speaking at some of these conferences. You know, I know some people have asked me to do those sorts of things. And um, I know I had a, we had a meeting with uh, Tony uh, uh, Martinez and uh Dave Feldman talking about you know this new uh, some of the political stuff that's going on trying to address public policy and so the uh, uh, so we've got a couple of those organizations being developed political organizations I'm going to probably participate in Um, and and, uh, you know just this just kind of more and more of that stuff you know my social media presence gets bigger and bigger every week and so it's going to continue to try to Utilize that I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to impact people's health and I think there's you you, you got to get the studies done You got to get the support you got to do the political legwork But I think social media is a big tool as well and I'm, and I'm finding out that 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 really moves a lot of people It moves the needle pretty quickly as well and So I want to continue to uh, um capitalize on that get better at my social media (laughs) social media uh sort of bring level up my skills on that stuff you know
0: I think your skills are pretty good I mean if you just as it's good to to improve what you're doing but the fact that you've been able to get some moment so much momentum really there's a lot of folks who have been doing a carnivore diet for a long time and not really uh I would say influence the mainstream, not that you're mainstream yet, but you've gotten a lot more traction than some of the other folks.
1: Well, I mean, you know, like I said, it's part of it is, you know, I've had, I've had the opportunity and the time to do it. The other thing is, you know, a lot of the people that did this particularly early on, I mean, they got attacked pretty, pretty aggressively. Yeah.
0: The Anderson family had so many mean things said to them.
1: Right, and, and it's not that I don't get my share of mean things said to me. I just don't care, and I, I would rather see people get healthy. and And I'll take the, I'll take the name calling and the, uh, you know, the stuff that's directed at me, and, and just continue to press on. You know, I mean, you know, granted, I'm kind of unique in the fact that I was an MD, the fact that I'm a pretty successful athlete, and so that gives, you know, for whatever reason, people tend to value that, whether that's rightfully valued or not. I think there's some pretty bright minds out there when it comes to carnivory and, and the zero carb movement that are just as Uh, knowledgeable and just as, you know, have just as much to contribute. You know, it's just that some people just for some reason think that because you have an MD after your name that you're, you have more credibility or the fact that you're a successful athlete, it gives you more credit. It's just the way society works. And so I'm going to take advantage of that because it helps people. And I'm going to continue to use that stuff and, 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 and sort of do the, the one thing I've discovered, and I think we've all kind of learned this through our last presidential election is that publicity is publicity and people want to be entertained. And so, you you, you know, no one's going to listen to you unless you entertain them first. And so part of what I do is a little bit of entertainment, uh, you know, like, putting that video from eating a steak in three minutes. I mean, that's just goofing around, but people look at that and they look at their, some of them will say, Oh, look at that stupid guy. But some people will laugh and some people will then stick around a little longer and then read some of the studies I, I put out there and, and look at some of the success stories. And, and that's what slowly is going to, you know, continue to move this momentum. And hopefully, you know, we're, you know, I've got a formula that's seems to be working at least, you know, in a, in a, not a very organized way but it's kind of growing organically and uh you know it's just i'm 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 doing what i can the best i can uh hopefully it'll get more and more polished as time goes and and i'm getting some people that are volunteering to help and that's kind of nice so hopefully you know a year from now um we'll have you know a movement that has grown 10 times what it is now i mean you know if you think about i know last year when i did this You know, there were there were just a few people that were talking about it openly. Now it seems like, at least in the low carb community, now. Uh, you know the low carb community is all over this stuff because they they're, they're just kind of trying to get their head around it. And now there's people in the mainstream that you know think it's crazy, but there are some mainstream guys that are that are that are looking at it and they're they're conceding the fact that yes, indeed, it doesn't kill you, and yes, indeed, there are people getting better by it. So I think that's a huge victory.
0: Well, I love the stories on the Meat Hills website. I posted my story, and I was surprised of how uh, many comments that I got from my friends. On Facebook, I was a little nervous about posting it because I have a, I have a lot of friends who are, not a lot, but a few friends who are vegans and vegetarians, and, I, um, even they posted nice comments, which was nice to see, but it's. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I think, you know, I think one, there's safety in numbers, and that's why I like to see we get more and more stories right. every day. You know, I, I, Michael Goldstein and I are doing this, this com. I'm kind of the rabble-rouser trying to get the stories, and he's just managing the site, putting them up there. And so, but I think, you know, once once you start getting a critical mass of, you know, a few hundred, few, you know, maybe even a thousand stories, people have to take a look and look at it. So that's sort of my goal is to continue to get people to contribute their stories, because stories as much as research papers also impact people's lives. You can, you know, the people that say I've got to have a randomized control trial before I make a decision about anything. I mean, that's not really how life works. I mean, it's not like you, you know, you got to have a randomized control trial to see if you're going to go to Universal Studios or Disneyland. I mean, the decisions you make in life don't always require randomized control trials. Right. And so, some people, it's just like, well, what did this guy do? How What results? He was in the same situation as I was and he got a really good result. Okay, I'm going to try it. And, there, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a fine way to approach uh, things in, in in many cases. There's, there, there, we, no one has a magic answer. No one knows what you're going to die of. No one can predict the future. All the nutritional data out there is at best, a guess, and it's really, there's a lot of flaws behind that stuff. And so I think you got to go with what works for you in the immediate period and look at that and critically evaluate your health. And I think that's, what this sort of thing is driving. And I think that's a good thing for a lot of people, you know, and I think we don't understand it. You know, we don't understand all the science and some of the physicians can't figure out why someone who's getting so healthy, but their cholesterol is going up. Maybe some of them will start to snap that, hey, well, maybe the cholesterol isn't as big of an issue as we thought it is. And maybe it's conditional and maybe it's situation dependent rather than it's, you know, black and white, good, bad. And I think that's what we're finding out. And I think that's good too. Yeah. To, to Did you, drive that message home because it is all black and white
0: on the carnivore or on the carnivore study the n equals many is right. did you get a lot of people submitting their test results and ha- is anybody doing a any number crunching on that
1: yeah matt Mayer is still crunching the numbers on that he's getting he's still generating i talk to him about every two weeks to ask him how he's going he's crunching it out we'll get it out there at some point we got something over a million points of data so it's a lot of stuff to analyze and you know it's it's uh, we got, we got, uh, I think the, the 90 day trial, we had about 300 or so. And the, the 30 day trial, we had like a thousand people put in data. And so that's just a lot of stuff to pick through. And, uh, he's, he's still working on that. So hopefully we'll have, I mean, he showed me some preliminary data stuff that wasn't that exciting. It was like how tall were people and how many were men and how many were women. And, you know, that's, that's okay, but it's not really the data that when people are going to want to see. And so I'm, I'm trying to, you know, when, when we get some stuff that's, you know, at least a little more interesting. We'll we'll put that out there.
0: Cool. Yeah, cuz I I did my part and put in all my stuff even though that tracking the food, weighing and measuring was the hardest part of that whole study. It's not what you're eating.
1: Yeah, and so we, we found that out. And so we kind of had to, you know, we kind of modified it for the second group and just said, you know, did you eat meat today, yes or no? And that's the only question we really cared about, you know, if we were on the protocol or not. And so we try to make it simpler. And we're, we're learning as we're going because it's something that, you know, we'd never done before and it's never really been done much before. And so it's all kind of uh, sort of new stuff. But it, we appreciated everyone that put in their data because it's going to be helpful for, for other people as it goes.
0: Well, that's, um, Cole, at least there you're making, at least there's some stuff out there and then there will be some data for the data people. I think that I agree with you on the in week, the meat hills website, seeing somebody who's gone through the same things you have and you can relate to is more inspiring than, you know, 50 rats in a cage were given this.
1: <laughs> right. It it really is. And I, and that's the thing that, you know, like I said, I that's why I think it's again, I just keep uh, you know reemphasizing this point. I think people really pay attention to that stuff. You know, I put up these transformation stories on my Instagram account, you know, every day or two, and people get a lot of reaction to that and I and I usually see three or four people comment, I'm going to try it now, you know, and then and they try it and Two of those four people will get a good result, and then, and then you know, and and then two may do it for a couple of days and quit. But the thing is, um, you know, that's that's just how it works. And you know, uh, you know, I know the people that sit there in the in the ivory towers uh, in academic medicine it frustrates them. But, I'm, but at the same time, all these people in the population are frustrated because all those studies have not resulted in the answer, and no one knows. And so that's a, that's a, that's a thing that I think is uh, you know interesting.
0: Well, I think there's a lot of folks who were told to do, uh, for me, because I've been an endurance athlete for a long time, eat a bunch of carbs, eat low fat, train hard, and you're going to end up fast and skinny. And that's not what happened to me. I, I was like, well, if A plus B equals supposed to equal C, and I'm doing A plus B, and I'm getting uh, a tomato, then <sighs> then I uh, obviously that's not working. So there's certain amount of people, if you use a logic like, hey, you told me to do this and it didn't work. I'm going to try something else. And, you know, obviously the meat only works for me. I go, I've occasionally gone on vacation and eaten differently. And uh, my husband's like, you know, when you get off track, you're cranky, your stomach hurts, you're angry. So um, he's very supportive of me sticking to this way of eating. but and, Yeah, uh, that's good.
1: Yeah, that's good. I mean, I it's kind of interesting because a lot of people ask me about cheat meals. Because, you know, a lot of people come to this from a, from the uh, perspective of I, I've had so much variety in my diet. And I'm, I'm just like human beings have not had a lot of variety in their diet, you know, traditionally. I mean, it's right. only been the last, you know, few centuries that we really – even got any kind of any kind of variety there, and so we're used to as a, as a species just eating the same things over and over again. We, we pretty much probably thrive on that. But you know, it, people ask about a cheat day, and, and, and I, you know, and I say, well, you know, go ahead, and knock yourself out, you know, and then and then see how you feel. And then people eventually they figure it out. You know, they figure out it's like how many times I have to hit myself in the head with this hammer to, to figure out not to right. not to do that anymore. Well, so- if you
0: look at all kinds of animals throughout history, a lot of them don't have any variety in their diet. I mean, there's a, 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 we have a grapevine outside and there's a special caterpillar or little butterfly thing. I don't know it's, if it's what it is, but it's called a grape leaf eater. That's all it eats is grape leaves. That's, I mean, and pandas only eat bamboo and, you know, lions only eat meat. It's not really, I think it's a little... Um, I think people. Yeah, yeah, yeah animals. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, we've got you know, we, we are so far from our natural diet. I mean, we you know, first particularly with the the food industry, with all the you know, you got Twinkie flavored ice cream. You got, I mean, you got stuff that just doesn't exist in, in any any form in in, yeah. in, in in sort of nature. And so we've got all this food that we we're never designed to eat. We've got more variety than we know what to do. You can go to the grocery store and there's ten thousand items to choose from. I mean, you know, it's it's literally uh, just continuous variety, and we were just not designed for that. Quite honestly, no animal on the planet. You know, yes, you know, what does a cow eat? Cow eats grass. What does a lion eat? A lion eats zebras. You know, there, there's a, there's a food that you eat, and as human beings, again, I made the argument that humans have largely been, you know, very successful predators and very f- successful hunters, and I think we thrive on meat. I think we it's clearly we're demonstrating that people are doing very well just on meat. And I think that's more or less the human diet. Now, some people will tolerate adding a little bit of plant food in, uh, depending upon, you know, probably some individual factors. But I think for the most part, we can all thrive on uh, a meat-based diet. And I think most people should do that. The problem is it's not a, uh, the problem is we have too many people. And the problem is, you know, you know, if we go back twenty thousand years ago when there were, you know, maybe three or four million people on the planet and gazillions of animals and we hadn't figured out how to farm yet, we were eating that way and probably pretty healthy. I mean, you know, people argue about the life expectancy, but the life expectancy largely was driven by infant mortality rate. And, you know, half the babies didn't make it to, to five years of age and the other people a lot of people got killed by accidents, infections and uh, violence and so but we do have evidence that a lot of those people lived into, into a fairly long long life and so um you know we just are eating the wrong damn diet and that's and that's just the, the, the simple answer
0: and I think that the argument that there's not enough animals is sort of um, there. the way we raise animals now is not conducive to large-scale animal production. If you read the diary of Lewis and Clark and some of the historic accounts of buffalo and and the number of animals that were on the plains, it's um, pretty staggering, like millions and millions of animals that, you know, if you have a plot of, of, you know, acreage of row crops, that for one takes out a whole ecosystem, but if you have one cow feeds a family of four, for about eight months so it's not like um or maybe not six months if you eat a lot of meat but it's not like if the agricultural practices change then um it will more than adequately be able to produce enough meat.
1: well i mean you know we, there there there's you know there's uh, there's better people have better experts that can talk about this but i mean basically you know the way that that animal agriculture is in, in much of the world is very inefficient, you know, and, and so for the criticism that the U.S. system has, it's very efficient. It, it they've dramatically improved their carbon footprint. Um, they produce a lot more meat per animal than they used to. Uh, those things are all you, again. You, you have to you have to if you sort of separate yourself from the ethical argument and the environmental argument, and the health argument. You have to you have to put these in different different. Uh, parcels but in order to get every person on the planet say a pound of meat a day which would be good because most people don't get anywhere near that you know we're talking about Africa and and right. you know a lot of the third world country they have nowhere near that There, they have all this malnutrition to do that you would have to basically double the number of uh, uh cattle on the planet which is very easily easily done we have plenty of room to do that and then you would also you know you would like to sort of better pasture these animals uh just so that they serve as a carbon sink and a methane sink so that they can actually and there's some studies that would indicate that by properly pasturing these animals um you know because we have to remember all the cows on the planet whether they're grain finished or grass finished are spending most of their life on grass anyway in pasture You know, that's what they, they don't, they don't sort of calculate that. So in the U S most of the animals are grain finished, but they spend most of their time on pasture. So it's not like you have to dramatically expand the pasture requirements. And to double that, we easily have the land to do that. That would provide about one pound of meat per person in the world. Um, you know, if, if, if the rest of the world took up similar, similar uh, uh, agricultural practices. You know, it's an efficiency thing. So we, we could do it if the will were there. The question is, you know, we've got a large uh, political movement that 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 is trying to sort of, you know, driven by some of these animal rights activists, some of the environmentalists are trying to tie those things together to try to push that out of the way and make us all go to a processed food diet, uh, you know, with fake meats, with lab meats, with uh, uh, all this, this, these animal products, which I think is going to be an overall detriment to people's health. And I think that's the wrong way to go. And so I think we have to sort of embrace the fact that we, you know, depend on those animals for our health, treat them as good as we can, manage them as, as good as possible, pasture them appropriately, and then allow the people that to choose to do so. Now, some people want to eat the, the synthetic fake stuff, and some people want to eat uh, plant-based That That's fine. But, you know, it, it shouldn't be forced on everyone else.
0: I 100% agree, and I think that if you are thinking about eating fake food as a alternative to, like, I you don't know, that doesn't seem, I I, don't, I think that seems like a horrible idea. Well, I mean, there's you know, <laughs> yeah. some,
1: there some people that are putting a lot of money in it, and and I suspect it will be financially very lucrative for those people that are investing in it because you know right now, I mean, well, look what people eat now. People eat complete garbage now. They they yeah. eat, I mean, there are Twinkies that people eat, and so they're going to eat the fin- synthetic fake meat too. And and the people that are investing on that are counting on that. And they know that, and they know it's going to be a huge return on their investment, and they're going to do whatever they take to. to bolster their profits and drive more people that way. And if they're going to use political pressures uh, to say it's environmental or ethically appropriate to do, they're going to do that. It's not that that's their main goal. Their main goal is to make money like it is for everything else. And so right. I think we have to, we have to realize that, you know, a lot. Of, most people don't care. Most people don't care about what they eat. You know, they just eat because they're, they just, whatever food's put in front of them, whatever they can get cheap at the grocery store that's what's gonna eat, that's what fills up their stomach. They don't think long enough to think of how that affects their health. I mean, you know, you and I, and the people in this community, and this little space we occupy in social media is a, is a relatively small percentage of people that actually care about what they eat and how it impacts their health. Most people out there don't know, don't care, don't wanna know, and that's, a, unfortunately, that's a sad, or sad reality.
0: Yeah, uh, I went to a meditation retreat this past weekend, and there was a girl who was younger than me, and um, we were just putting rooms together, and she was like, "Oh, I'm going through perimenopause," and I'm, and I was like, "How old are you?" And uh, she's a year and a half younger than me. Her, um, she has horrible allergies, and um, she, her hormones are messed up. She's cranky. She wouldn't let us turn on the heater, even though we were up in the mountains, because she didn't want Paul, you know, stuff blowing on her that was going to make her allergies bad. And and that was me 10 years ago. I didn't have a period. I had horrible allergies. I um, felt horrible all the time and uh, went on this path and found meat only and I have none of that. So I think that it's, um, and I told her, hey, I eat all meat diet and I don't have any of your issues. So I think there's people like me who, and people like you who, when people, a conversation comes up like that, if we just say, hey, you know, that's not my reality, And even if they don't buy into it, at least they know that there's another choice. You know, there's another way. Another girl commented on how uh, much energy I had because I went for a bike ride while I was out there and she was a lot younger than me. So I think that people who are making the choice to do something differently, they're like, hey, maybe I want to be like that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Ultimately, you got to make your own decision, and you know, I think the uh, question is, you know, are is it making a difference or not? And I think you have to you have to objectively assess that, and you did. And I think there's arguments on how you assess that. You know, some people will say, you know, it, it doesn't matter what it, what you feel like, how you look, what your body composition is. It only matters what your what your LDL cholesterol is. And I think that's just insane. But there are some people that think that's the only thing that matters, and I I just hopefully that that mentality will start to uh people will start to question that because i i think it's you know you can look at people that are obviously sick and they have lab values that that look better than other people and i'm just like the lab values are not that important and hopefully um you know particularly in context you know you have to take them in context you have to understand them you have to dig deeper and like i said it's not a black and white you know good bad thing it's there's there's all kinds of context that goes into that
0: right there's a ton of variables although i can attest that i'm with you i recover great when <laughs> compared eating all meat diet my recovery is insane i don't i don't ever get sore or and i can do back-to-back workouts where i used to not be able to do that before
1: yeah, that's important. And I think that's something that we're seeing in the athletic community. I, I get that all the time. My recovery is outstanding. You know, people tell me that day in and day out. And, you know, when your recovery is good, you can train more frequently. When you can train more frequently without, you know, beating yourself up, your results get better. And I think that's a performance enhancing uh, aspect of this.
0: Well, we're coming up on time. And I I know you have food to get to and training. <laughs> to, <get> to. <laughs> right. So we will, uh, well, I will put in the notes that uh, your carnivore study, um, I don't know if you're taking any other people or any other data on N equals many.
1: um, Yeah, we're still, it's still open. It's an open ended thing. We always keep people data. You know, we're not, I'm not, I haven't been heavily publicizing it lately because I've been kind of tied up in other things but and I want to make sure Matt has facilitated the best way to get the data out there but we're anytime people want to enter data we take it and we'll just add it to the over it's going to be kind of a constantly growing database with results and so
0: okay.
1: uh, that's that's the way that's designed so yes I, n equals Mandy.com, you can you can enter more data
0: And you're at, you have Carnivores Training Systems, which is basically a strength training program.
1: Yeah, Carnivore Training System. It's just a general conditioning, fitness, strength training program. I think it's good for most people, uh, just just as a general workout program. It's kind of what I've done for many years, you know, what I used to to get my overall fitness, strength, and all that stuff. And then it it also talks about diet and how to incorporate the diet, particularly with regard to exercise. So I think it's helpful for people.
0: And then if people want to see success stories, go to MeatHills.com.
1: Meatheals.com. Yes. And if people have success stories, we want you to add them to our, to our growing, growing number of database. Yeah. We've got, I think we're coming up at least 50 people so far. We've been doing it since, I don't know, just a little over a month now. And so we're, we're we're trying to put one for one new story up every single day, just to kind of keep, you know, just to keep it fresh. And and so we've got some really amazing stuff. And the nice thing is you can search it by disease process. So if you've got like somebody who's interested about joint pain or, you know, losing weight or depression or anything like you can just search and you can see all the stories or people talking about where their joint pain got better their depression got better or their you know autoimmune disease got better so it's kind of neat
0: cool thank you so much sean for your time i really appreciate it maybe like six months from now we'll do this again and see where you're at and see hopefully the community's grown bigger and bigger
1: yeah i suspect it will all right stephanie well great well i'm gonna i'm gonna cut out of here and go get some food and uh, we'll talk to you later okay
0: all right have a great day (laughs) <laughs> All right, thanks.